Good morning, everybody. Feeling good in this hot summer run that we've been having. Uh, just so grateful to be here this morning. Uh, just a little bit of background on me and my family. Uh, my wife, Courtney, and I have been married for 13 years. We currently live in the city of Excelsior, and we have two kids that are in that picture. That's Everett, who's 11, and Hadley, who is 8. And that was on our first night of Branch Church's launch, which um, it's just been a great summer. We're seven weeks in. And it's been very, very meaningful. Um, Some of the team is here today to worship with us, and we're just so grateful. Hey, yeah, there's a woo. We're an enthusiastic bunch, as you can tell. All right. So I've been a pastor for about 20 years, and half that time was in student ministry, and the second half was in the adult ministry area, including being a teaching pastor. And if you would have come to me two and a half years ago and told me I'd be standing right here in a season of my life where we together as a, a small community are planting a church down in Carver, I'm not quite sure how I would have responded because I had an idea of what my future looked like. But Proverbs 16.9 says, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Has that dynamic ever played out in your life? Where you think that you have a picture of your future, but then God comes and starts directing your steps, stirring you up. Maybe you're even in a season like that right now, like we are. I'm so grateful for what God has been doing in just this season of trust. And I'm convinced more than ever that God uses everything that we encounter in our lives to help direct us towards his best in our lives. Over the course of the last two years, God has been stirring me and our family and just a small group of people up. Um, and it started a couple years ago on sabbatical where I wondered if there could be a different way to do church. And then a number of circumstances over the last couple of years has been this divine step ordering that I could not have foreseen, but I'm so grateful uh, that we are. We're based in the Southwest Metro and look forward to kind of where all of this will go. John 15, 5, Jesus says these words, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's our verse as a church, and that defines a lot for us. It gives us our name, obviously. But it also teaches us a little bit about a picture of what life is intended to be like with God, where he, Jesus, is our source for everything, and we are his branches interconnected with one another to bear fruit to bless the world around us. Our mission is to connect people to Jesus and each other through the truth of God's word. And God's given us a calling to pursue church as a sense of family through a unique model, where we want to gather collectively for worship and then break out in homes. Sounds familiar? There's no doubt about it. It sounds familiar because that's exactly what you all are doing. As Courtney and I were putting our uh, beginning plans together, we were wondering and praying, God, who is doing something like what you've called us to that we can learn from? And over the course of the next couple of months, I met some people who then introduced me to Pastor David here. And a lot of conversations led to this partnership, which we're so grateful for. Thank you, Renovation Church, for being a church that has a vision to plant more churches to reach more people. And we're grateful already for your support. We know we'll lean on you for wisdom, and we look forward to a strong mutual relationship ahead in these years as we go by, as we be his church. I believe right now that we are living through a season in which there just seems to be a pronounced darkness in the world. Would you agree with that? We're living through a season where there's a lot of confusion in this world. Would you agree with that? And we're living through a season where it just seems like fear is being pushed into a lot of what we're experiencing. But here's the truth. The darker that it gets, the brighter the light of Christ shines. Amen? 
Jesus says to us, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the time that God is shining through us in a unique way. The more confusing that it gets, 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And the more fear that gets pushed into our world, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead God has given us Love and power and self-discipline. And we believe that God is calling the church into a unique moment in this time that we all face to be that bright light shining in the world, to encourage the church to be built up in unity and to encourage people who do not know Jesus to know him more. We believe that Branch Church has a unique moment. We're brand new. Everything's unique right now. But I also, as an observer outside looking in, as I've gotten to know renovation, I've known about renovation for a long time, but as I've gotten to know this church, it feels like there's a unique moment that God is positioning you all for as you're experiencing life in this new building, being a literal city on a hill on this corner in Blaine to reach people. And it's just so good to link arms with you all to be in this together. In order for us to seize the moment that God has for us as the church, I believe that God desires that we love the church like he does. And that the church becomes more and more every single day, week, month, and year, more than just a destination that we intend, but a movement that we become more every day. That we be God's people more and more devoted to experiencing him, loving each other, and reaching the world. So the message that I have today is called Built Together. And the point of it is this. I hope to encourage you and inspire you just a little bit through God's word that God's going to do that work. And that you'll leave here with a sense of unique vision that Jesus is building his church and he's building us as his people together. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. In the Bibles that you have, it's on page 799, almost 800. And I picked this up from David a few months ago when we first came. I love how he does this. Big number 2, Ephesians chapter 2, small number 13 through 22. Ephesians is my favorite book in the Bible. And one of the reasons why is because the author, Paul, as he writes to this ancient church in the city of Ephesus, is constantly comparing what was before Jesus and now what is because of Jesus. And it's a reminder to us that through Christ, all of What he's brought is possible for us every single day, and we need to continue to let go of what was. The text that we're going to read today, which is a a very common theme in this book, has to do with the difference between Jew and Gentile. Because that difference was a problem at the church of Ephesus, and it's an issue that Paul addresses head-on in his letter. If you're new to the conversation of faith... Jewish people were gods, uniquely chosen by him to carry forth his mission, and a Gentile was a non-Jew, and they were on the outside looking in. Jews were separated from Gentiles and went to great lengths in order that that separation would continue. And as a result, there was hostility between Gentile and Jew, that as these two groups of people were coming to meet Jesus and follow after him, that tension was rising within the church. And Paul was writing to address that. Today, there's plenty of things that tempt to divide us, aren't there? A lot of divisions and separations, but Jesus rises above every single one of them. And as we keep our eyes fixed on him as his church, we can rise above them too. I'm going to read for us verses 13 through 18. Follow along with me. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Quick question. Anybody in the room like watching home remodeling shows? HGTV fans? Go ahead and raise your hands if you're feeling bold this morning. That's good. A lot of us in the room today. There's a show that's on HGTV. You may have heard of it. It's called Fixer Upper. If you haven't heard of it, it's about as hard to miss as Chick-fil-A right now. And if it's new to you, the basic plot of this show, Chip and Joanna Gaines in Waco, Texas, they have a business called Magnolia. They've remodeled a lot of homes in Waco, and it is so fun to watch them go about their craft. Our family loves watching this show, and it's uh, a kind of a favorite within our home. But our kids particularly love one day as a part of the remodeling process. And that day is called Demo Day. You like it too. <laughs> Demo Day is great. And Demo Day is particularly great on this show because it gets rowdy. I mean, they start using sledgehammers and sawzalls, and then humans run through walls. And it's not uncommon if we have a house project going on in our house that our kids ask, hey, could, could I be a part of Demo Day? Because let's be real, who doesn't want permission to throw a hammer through drywall? But the point that I'm making on this show is before you see that dramatic reveal, right? That billboard-sized picture of the old house and it separates and then you see the remodeled home behind it. Before that can happen, any of it can happen, there needs to be a teardown. There needs to be demolition. And one of the things that I want you to see in this text is that God has, through Jesus, had a cosmic demo day. Because here's the point. Jesus has torn down the wall of hostility between us. The image that Paul is pointing to is a partitioning, dividing wall in the temple in Jerusalem in that time that separated Jews from Gentiles. Quick history. In the temple in Jerusalem, there were three different spaces. The outer courts, the inner courts, and the holy of holies where God's presence was. And in between the outer courts where anybody can be in the inner courts was a dividing wall that made it very clear to anybody entering into that space that there was a certain group of people that were welcome and many others who were not. And in fact, there was a sign on it that said, no foreigner shall enter. So if you were a non-Jew, you were conditioned to know that you were not welcome there. And that wall was a symbol of your not welcomeness. But God tore down that wall. He ripped it down. And now his presence is available. And God didn't just tear down that wall. He tore the curtain. You remember that story in the Gospels where Jesus dies? And at that moment in the temple in the curtain in Jerusalem, that curtain that separated then the inner courts from the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. Now God's presence is available for anybody, anybody who would say yes to Jesus and his love that comes to us. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to make this real personal. For us personally, you are no longer separated from God. Ordinary, average, broken people like me and like you, through Jesus' sacrifice, have access 
to the God that holds the universe in the palm of his hands. Let that in. There's no separation between you and God through Jesus any longer. And then second truth, we're no longer separated from one another. That wall in particular was ripped down so that there's no longer any divisional barrier between any of us that would keep us away from being unified in the church. Jesus tore down that wall of hostility and forever established harmony and wholeness to our relationship with God and to each other. The second thing I want you to observe here is that Jesus is creating a new humanity. In verse 15, it says, For his purpose was to create one new humanity out of the two, again, Jew-Gentile, thus making peace. That's verse 15. I want to draw this out a little bit more. What does it mean by new? In ancient Greek, which was the New Testament, what the language was that that was written in, there's two words for new. There's neos, and then there's kainos. Let me explain the difference between the two. Neos is a new version of what already was. So this loud shirt that I'm wearing this morning, I could say to you, hey, I used to have a shirt just like this, but for today I bought a neos shirt. This is a new version of what already was. The second word in Greek is kainos, and this is the word that's used by Paul here. This is a breakthrough kind of new, a new like the world has never seen before, nothing that existed, like when Teslas came out, and all of a sudden electric cars are everywhere. Maybe you have one. John Chrysostom, who was an early church leader, reflected on this word in this text by saying these words, it is as if one should melt down a statue of silver and a statue of lead And then the two should come out as gold. A brand new humanity. Jesus combines us into something that is entirely different and a breakthrough. This is a breakthrough new humanity that is what? The body of Christ, the church. We are a breakthrough new humanity that God is creating. And not just in this space, not just in Renovation Church, not just in Branch Church, but the church around the world that claims Jesus is Lord. He's created it, we live in it, and there's power in understanding that this is the essence of the church because we get to receive more and we get to live in more the fact that there's nothing that divides us any longer. Here's the thing. This caught me a couple years ago. In John chapter 17, Jesus is about to go into his suffering, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. He starts by praying for his disciples, And his prayer for them is around power and courage and strength to continue the message that he's planted within them as they've journeyed together. But then he turns to pray for someone else. This is in verses 20 through 21. It says, My prayer is not for them, the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Pause. Who's that? Us. I heard it. It's us. Jesus is praying for us. And here's his prayer, verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world will know that you have sent me. So in other words, the more that we live into this breakthrough new humanity, regardless of whatever we think can divide us, the more that we demonstrate to the world that's desperate for a Savior that he is the one that they're looking for. Jesus has created it, and we just get to live in it. The people of God living in unity across whatever difference we may carry. Those are just two quick observations in those verses I want us to see. But God is building, 
And he's not building a structure. He's building a people. And he uses metaphors, Paul does. And the word has metaphors here that describe what the blueprint for the church looks like in a few different things that I want us to see. Let's read again in verses 19 through 22. Here's what it says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a lot in these verses. I just want to draw out three of the metaphors that Paul uses here to describe what the blueprint is for the church. The first is this, metaphor of a nation. In verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. I like digging into the language in the text, and you've probably picked that up already, but the language here is really interesting again because the words that are used are choice. The word for foreigner is xenos, and what that means is this group of people in ancient Greek culture did not live an easy life. They were treated with suspicion and disliked. Have you ever been treated with suspicion before or dislike? Every day, this group of people that Paul was referring to, whom these people reading this letter would have known, faced that suspicion and dislike. Now, the word, um, the word stranger is paroikos. That's one step further. That's a resident alien existing in a land that were not their own. Both these people groups existed on the fringe and were held at more than arm's distance. And maybe you felt that in your life before. I don't know, maybe in the church you felt like that before. Where you felt like you were held out further than arm's distance. Now here's what Paul is contrasting here. Nobody, nobody is out there anymore. Because of Jesus, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And when we say yes to him, we are brought closer. We are not outsiders. We are members of his body. He's building us together. The next is household. In verse 19, Paul writes, you are also members of his household. Here again is where the language gets a little bit unique. Remember the word for stranger in Greek? It's par oikos. Now the word for household is the exact opposite. It's oikos, and by the way, it's not yogurt. This means household. In other words, what Jesus is doing is building his church into a household a family, and we're welcomed in. It's the exact opposite of stranger and distant. And God is making this this leap from the page. You're no longer a stranger to God, and we are not strangers to one another. And we've been invited into the house, and not just invited in, but warmly received as members of his family. We all belong. Just a quick aside, what would change in your perspective when you entered into this building as a part of this church knowing that you belong to everybody in this room? You belong to God first, but we belong to each other. And in your house groups, what could happen 
if more and more every day we recognize and receive this in for us as branch church, in our branch homes is what we're going to call them, and in our gathering, what would it look like for us, all of us, to press into the fact that we are a part of a family, we're a household? Now, I think the other aspect that I want to call out here is that I think sometimes there's a temptation, and maybe it's a Western culture thing, I don't know, but there's a temptation to view faith through individualistic lenses that might come out as, you know, it's just me and Jesus. But what I know to be true in more than 20 years of following after Jesus, I can't do this journey on my own. I need a family. I need a household. I need an oikos. I need people. Because that's the way the body of Christ works. We depend on Jesus and we follow him with each other. One of the things that's captured me and made just my curiosity grow and my excitement for renovation grow and our hope that we can emulate the same thing is just the simple fact that over 80% of people who call renovation home participate in house groups. You all, that's amazing. You're persistently living this. You are a household. You're living this out. And as you get into the fall, just don't ever stop. And in between now and then, what would it look like for you to live out your oikos? Just a quick example. We have another couple that we're close friends with. And last year, in all of last year's 2020-ness, in the midst of a particular challenging moment for just our two families, our friend asked a simple question when we were together. She just said, hey, how are you keeping your eyes on Jesus right now? And then we, like, oikost each other. I don't know if that's actual good treatment of that (laughs) grammar or language. But we householded one another. Like, we left that conversation that night so buoyed, so encouraged, so inspired, because we treated it as not just a random hang, but an interaction as the body of Christ. So keep going. As you go into your house groups, look at it with eager anticipation, and we will do the same. And then the third is a building. Verse 20 through 21, it says, With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. When it comes to construction, I'm a novice. But one of the things that I've understood, especially in ancient construction, um, I guess, I don't know what you would call it, strategies, one of the first things that got laid was the cornerstone and the rest of the building got built up around it. And that's still often true today. And I saw this play out in kind of a cool way that is a good metaphor for us. Last summer, uh, my son and daughter and their neighborhood friends decided one day to occupy their time. They were going to build a fort. And they were going to build a fort in the woods behind our house. And this was not going to be a normal fort. This was going to be a fort made out of materials from the neighbor across our street's dumpster. Our kids went dumpster diving. And they had permission, by the way. But they pulled out all these amazingly random things. They had a cooler. They had, like, a headboard for a bed. They had a big old plywood board. They had a net. They had a dartboard. They, I mean, just the things that they collected, I'm, I was like, okay, we're going to see how this plays out. But then later on in that day, after they'd done some building process, my son was kind of walking me through it. And he said, Dad, the first thing that we did is we put this board up. I'm like, oh, you're getting it. Because without that board, where do you go? How do you start? That board became, in a very simple metaphorical way, the cornerstone of that fort. And they had an absolute ball that day building that. And the point is this. Anytime you're building something, there has to be a foundation stone. And what Paul is reminding us, 
We can do all that we want to in the church, but let's never forget that the chief cornerstone, the one whom this whole thing is laid upon is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And we get built up around him to be and to live like him. God is building the church on Jesus. He's the cornerstone, and everything, including all of us, falls into place. Verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. By the way, the tenor of that sentence, that verse in 21, is continual, meaning that it's not done. God's still actively building his church. He's still actively building his church. He's building us up in unity, and he's adding more stones to the church. And what do I mean by that? When someone comes and confesses Jesus as Lord, turns from sin, and toward the love that Jesus has for them, another stone gets added, and another gets added, and another gets added. And I've heard what God is doing in and through this church to invite people to come to know Jesus, and it's amazing to hear about that. As we continue to grow together, to reach together, to love together, and experience God together, that building continues to get stronger. Verse 22, and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is both for us as individuals, but also for the community, and it's both. You can't have one or the other. You are not a building. You are a body. We are not a building. We are a body. The church has never been confined to a building or restricted from breaking forth even amidst hardship, suffering, and persecution. And in fact, when you look around the world where the church is most rapidly breaking forth, it is facing its greatest resistance. And I think that's important for us to remember because regardless of whatever we're facing, regardless of whatever the context of our life is, right now is the opportunity to be built and to rise continually. Because every day, and we've been reminded of this lately, we need Jesus. And every day we need each other. And individually, God is building you, but we can't be built without our community. So let us lean in with one another. Do not disengage. Keep going forth with each other in your journey. Because you and I are being built to be and live like Jesus. And when we're one, when we don't let that dividing wall stand any longer, because actually Jesus has already torn it down, we demonstrate to the world around us that he's God. Now, before we close, I want to go back to something at the very beginning of the text that I read because it's incredibly life-giving. And just out of a curious prayer, I wonder if there may be some here today that need to hear this maybe for the first time. And that's this in Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what's true about God and about humanity. God created us perfect. He created us holy. And he created us for an intimate love relationship face-to-face with him. But we fell into sin. And that sin has been transferred to all human beings who walk the earth. And the description that's in the book of Ephesians, again, why I love Paul's delineation between what was and what can be through Jesus. What was and maybe where some of us are today, is that we were far away from God. We were dead in our transgressions and by nature deserving God's wrath. And then, in Ephesians 2, 4, but because of his great love for us, 
God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ when we were already dead. We have redemption and forgiveness, and we get to be included in this gospel of truth, your salvation. And I wonder, I wonder if you're here today and you've been just sensing the tug, the gentle tug, the gentle pursuit of this Jesus who loves you deeply, who knows your name, who knows your struggles, who knows what's good about you, who knows what's not so good about you and me, by the way. Maybe he's tugging at your heart. And maybe you've not crossed from what was, which is death, to what is, which is life, to the full that lasts for all of eternity. And if you're in that place, over here, and you're feeling that tug, you are hearing the voice of God, and I appeal to you, listen and respond. And even this morning, say yes to Jesus. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will cross from death into life. And so in this moment, I want to just leave some space for all of us to pray and encounter God and maybe for some in this room to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. So if you would with me, would you just bow your head? Everybody do that and everyone close your eyes. And if you've not said yes to Jesus, you feel that tug. And if you want to believe in Jesus and turn your life over to him and cross from death to life, I urge you to respond. And if that's you, I want to just urge you again to mark this day, to make a bold decision to say yes to Jesus. And if you're being tugged in that way and if you're ready to respond, right where you're seated, right where you're seated, would you just stand right now? Just stand right where you are. You're among friends. All eyes are down. We're praying for you. You might feel that tug. Just stand. I'm going to give you about 10 more seconds. It's a bold choice to step toward Jesus, and we all get to do that every single day. And for all of us, This is a moment that God is calling us to go forth. So what I would love, if you're feeling that tug, you don't have to do it here tonight or today. You can do that later on tonight. You just pray, God, I confess that I'm sinful. I need a Savior. I believe in you, and I commit to following you with all of my life. And the beautiful part about that journey is we keep praying that prayer of surrender every day. And so all of us get to do that now. So where you are all seated, I just want to invite you to stand and let's pray together as this message closes and our band comes out to lead us in one more worship song. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this moment that we've had just to gather as your people. We're grateful for what you're building. You are building a beautiful, unified picture of your people, and that's the church. We are a breakthrough. Not because of what's in us, but because of who you are. And so I just lift us all up. I lift up renovation. I lift up branch church. I lift up the church around the world, God, in this moment of darkness and division and challenge and struggle and strife. May we rise more. May we see this as the moment that you want to use us in a unique way to shine brightly as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I pray for families in this room. Would you just strengthen marriages? Would you strengthen families? Would you strengthen these kids that are here? and in the kids' rooms. 
Lord, I pray over all of our journeys with you that we would just receive and know your mercy more and more every single day and then live it out in a way that we know that we need to trust you for. God, we will sing in just a moment, Lord, bless us. Lord, keep us. Make your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. And we ask that you would do that. But God, we praise you that you are a God who has promised to be with us and to turn your face to us and to give us everything that we need every day to follow after you. So we receive you yet again and commit to following you deeply as we walk out of these doors to be your church out there and live there what we've done in here. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen.